Welcome to the Soulful Sound Podcast. This podcast is about celebrating the leaders, teachers, and coaches who guide fellow humans to connect, heal, and discover themselves so they can express their gifts into the world. I am Simone Niles, a coach, sound healer, vocalist, and author. Thank you for being here with me today. Welcome everyone to another episode on the Soulful Sound Podcast and I am joined by the awesome Scott Stabile who is the author of Enough As You Are and Big Love, The Power of Living with a Wide Open Heart. He is a passionate love advocate mm, who believes there is no force more powerful than love to create real connection and healing in our world. Oh yes, welcome Scott, I love it. Thank you so much. That was such an impassioned introduction. I appreciate oh, thank you. <laughs> well, you, honestly, it's it's so beautiful, the work that you're doing, and uh, it's so needed. So definitely can feel that right at the start. Thank and you. I really like to ask my guests the same question at the beginning and at the end, kind of top and tail. And that first question really is just related to you, your work, and kind of how you got the journey that got you here where you are now. That simple question. Simple, <laughs> really simple. Tell me all about your life's journey. <laughs> well, what I, what I will say is that in my early 20s, after uh, moving to San Francisco from Michigan, where I grew up and went to college, I started to connect with this understanding within that uh, love can actually be the priority by which I direct my life. And that if I am choosing love again and again, my life is likely to feel better. And what the circumstances around that, I mean, there's a whole story about I joined a cult in the Bay Area and <laughs> that was part of my journey to love. And, and I reflect on those times, you know, with a lot of gratitude in my heart mm -hmm. because of that. But it, it was really, it was really just understanding that my, direction in life didn't have to be built on career goals and, and, and things that I had gone through college believing would define ultimately how I pursued my life. And I, I was meeting more people who were committed to being peaceful, loving beings, and that was the priority for them. And that became a priority for me, along with at the time, I really began at that time to chase enlightenment and enlightenment was my number one priority until I came to understand that enlightenment isn't really something you achieve, right? It's yeah. potentially gifted upon you if you're lucky enough, but I find very few people who have been gifted that. Mm -hmm. um, but all of the choices I was making in my pursuit of enlightenment were be more loving, be more compassionate, be more forgiving. They were all choices that still serve as the foundation from which I choose to live my life today. Do you feel called to use your voice and sound in a healing capacity? Learn how to use your voice therapeutically to facilitate healing and well-being. Whether you want to go deeper in your own healing journey or facilitate others in theirs, this training is for you. This online training runs over five weekends and offers theory, practice, resources, and support on your path to becoming a qualified sound healer. 
and for your personal healing journey. That is beautiful. And I I love it. What I will ask, because you use the word um, choosing love or love being the priority. Yeah. And there's something really precious in that. I want to go a little bit deeper in how that actually, I guess, practically manifests in your life. What is it that makes that clear for you that love is the priority? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, one, I want to explain how I experience love, which is just that I experience love as an energy. I want to share this because I feel like when there's a lot of love talk, (laughs) it can feel to people very ungrounded and woo woo. And my, my relationship with love and how I observe it in the world feels deeply grounded in, Mm. in, in as much as I believe it is the power, the, the only thing that stands to create real healing here. So when I think of love, I experience it as an energy and it's an energy that's alive within us and outside of us. And in the same way, I experience creativity as an energy. So for me, it's understanding love as an energy means that it's available to us all the time. And the choice when I'm choosing it is a choice to play with that energy in my thoughts, in my words, in my actions or not. And so anytime I'm choosing to engage with love, and I see love as an umbrella term also for forgiveness, empathy, kindness, compassion. Whenever I'm choosing to engage with that energy, I trust that whatever I have to offer from that place is a pure positive force. It is actually contributing to healing in our world and first and foremost, contributing to healing inside of myself. Yeah. And I, I talk a lot and write a lot about self-love. Enough as you are is really a self-love and self-acceptance manifesto. That's ultimately the, the through line there. Um, so I am someone who I like to feel good, Simone. Like I, I feel like that is an innate human desire. We want to feel good. Mm-hmm. And when I pay attention to my life, When I am aligning myself with love, I feel most at home in my being. I feel most aligned with source and I feel better. So for me, that choice, there's, there's no question about that for me. Yeah. And when I'm out of alignment with love, when I'm choosing shame for myself or others, dehumanization of myself or others, victimhood, envy, whatever words you want to attach to it, I don't feel as good. I don't feel as aligned. Yeah. So that's really what I'm talking about when I'm talking about love and choosing it. And also, I really want to just say that part of this human experience is living outside of love often. Like as much as I preach about love and write about it and talk about it, I am a jerk. I am I am like everything every other one of us is who has a human mind. (laughs) Right. So for me, part of Part of operating in love and remembering self-love is understanding that the experience of being human is being envious and jealous and angry and judgmental and self-abusive and whatever else. And can I not give myself grace when I'm showing up that way too and give others grace when they're showing up that way because we all show up that way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yummy. (laughs) So beautiful. Um, there's so much that I want to pull from that, but 
I'll just start with the question that's percolating because I know, as you said, a lot of people see love, self-love, and we throw these things out so much that it, yes, it has become the wishy-washy. What does that actually mean? Mm-hmm. And I love how our, how you articulate it around our thoughts, our behaviors, our the choices that we make. It's choosing to engage with the energy that is love that we are perhaps right and and so my question let's start with maybe the thoughts because we know that um the behaviors it's not necessarily where it starts but what are what is your take on how much control we have over the mind and the thoughts and and if we can control them how do you control yours how do you choose loving thoughts when other things are coming up like the jealousy and the envy and the judgment and the other things that we all experience yeah, it's not easy. And I, and I, I'm not one. I, I believe we don't have control over much of our thoughts. And I believe where there, where there is the possibility for control is the moment we bring awareness to what it is we're thinking. And when I'm most inclined to bring awareness to what it is I'm thinking is when I notice I'm feeling like crap right now. And this feeling is typically not just happening on its own. It's almost always related to what it is I'm thinking about. So for me, a first step in having any semblance of control or influence over our thoughts is becoming aware that what I'm thinking about right now is contributing to me feeling extremely anxious or extremely sad or hopeless or whatever it is. So what am I thinking about? Mm -hmm. And is there an opportunity here to reframe what I'm thinking about? Or if I'm unable to, also to just feel what I'm feeling because I don't, I'm not someone who is saying that if what you're feeling right now is sadness that you, and, and that's an uncomfortable feeling that that's something you need to distract yourself away from. I believe very deeply in feeling what we're feeling. And I believe it is ultimately the only way we can get to the other side. Yes. You know, I think that I'm a, I'm a master number, like a lot of us out there. And what I've come to discover is whatever it is I'm numbing from is always waiting for me when I'm on the other side of my numbing agent, whatever that might be, yes, right? exactly. you know, and at the same time, I do believe that I'll speak for myself. I do, I have and continue to in some ways make my life a lot harder than it needs to be, which is to say that, let's say I get in a a fight with a friend and I'm coming away from that disagreement really righteous and really in my head around it. And I'm playing that fight through my mind over and over. But all I'm coming up with is more things I would say to like show them I'm right and they're wrong. And I'm continuing to just rest in the the discomfort and kind of the grossness of my compulsion to be right and make my friend wrong and my unwillingness to empathize with where they might have been coming from. If that's all I'm doing in my mind and I'm recognizing that by doing that, I'm feeling so off in my being, for me, there is value in that moment of looking at where else can I direct my thoughts right now? I'm not able to look at this conversation through a lens that is in any way creating more healing in my being. So why not think about like cute kittens or my nieces and nephews whom I love or any other thing in this moment? Now, if I were spending that same amount of time reflecting on the argument and, and reflecting from this place of, 
whoa, my friend was was really having a rough day. And what they were trying to communicate was coming from, from this place. And I wasn't really available to it in the moment. But right now I feel really committed to empathy. And I realized the way I was showing up was needing to be right. Like for me, that's really productive. That's like staying in those thoughts with the understanding, hey, I'm leading myself to the potential of some healing and more openness and expansion. And that is naturally going to lead to the next dialogue with my friend um, to create the possibility of healing and expansion. That for me is great. Let me stay in those thoughts as long as possible. But if all I'm doing is spinning on that wheel like a hamster of blame and righteousness, I'm inclined to, to to direct myself to think about any other thing for the moment until yeah. I can bring myself back to this conversation in a clearer way. And so in that moment, I do have influence over my thoughts. Yeah. I can, I have a video, Simone, I return to often. It's of this cute little dog. I don't know what kind of dog, but like a lap dog for sure. <laughs> and it's all it's doing in this, they, the, the, the dog's um, owner, I don't like using that word, but what do you say for the dog's guardian yeah, I, I don't know like dog's <laughs> yeah. guardian yes. is has so many videos of this dog lapping up green smoothies and all it's doing it's just sitting there and there's a big smoothie in front of his mouth and it's just a tongue going like a tongue going in and out and that is a video i return to often because awesome. it does for me what it's doing for you and you haven't even seen it it just yeah. makes me laugh and smile yeah. it's such a a clear reminder that yes all this other stuff is going on in your head and there is an endless bounty of joy and humor and connection that is alive on this planet at the same time. And it's, it's, it's rarely a disservice to steer yourself to those things as well. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's great. And I, I really relate. One of the things that I feel very fortunate to have been taught really young um, by my mother mostly is to take responsibility for your own shit and to also mm -hmm. know when it's not yours, you yes. know, and that in that instance where you can go, okay, this is what I'm feeling right now. This is what I'm experiencing. It has nothing to do with the catalyst. So let's just leave them there with love for a minute, come here and sort this out and then come back to that conversation, that relationship, that whatever it might be interaction with a, a new framework or perspective. So I really relate to that, which I think is beautiful. It, it talks a lot about um, that, that level of self-awareness that, that we all, I think, need to cultivate and cultivate deeply in order to be in this awareness of how am I reacting to my thoughts? Absolutely. Because the instinct, yeah. the instinct in all of us um, to some degree is to blame and to project. It's where our, mi our mind lives in those worlds much more comfortably. But taking yeah. responsibility, what you're speaking to, owning your shit in the place of whatever is happening. Mm -hmm. um, for me, that's where the gold is. And, and by the way, that doesn't mean that we're also not in relationship sometimes with people who are being wildly disrespectful or who are saying incredibly toxic things or doing that. And and even in those moments, it's like for me, owning my shit in the context of that might look like, why am I choosing to stay in relationship with someone who is continuously disrespecting me yeah. and directing toxic behavior at me? That for me is taking ownership and responsibility yes. for my place in it. Yes. You know, and what about you with with control over thoughts? Like, what's your belief around that? How much control do we have? I feel that thoughts are neutral and that 
majority of the thoughts that we have, conscious thoughts that we have, aren't true. So because I see it that way, I just see them, I kind of just, my work very much in the sound and frequency world, let's call it um, the frequency, I see it as uh, just thoughts coming in through a channel, through a radio station, if you like. I've tuned into this station, so these are the thoughts that are coming through. So when I see it that way, I go, well, what if I was, you know, decided to tune into a different frequency or different station? What thoughts, again, kind of what you said, reframing would be helpful right now for me to shift what I'm feeling, especially if it's uncomfortable. I think there is a, the, the, the control is not having control of the thoughts themselves, but how you respond to them. Absolutely. And yeah. in that there's that, there's always that, that crossroads, not necessarily just two paths might be the third space as well. But if we saw it as a crossroads, we're like the thoughts are here. This is how I'm feeling. Which direction do I want to go with this? Yeah. Um, and to recognize, too, I think that our thoughts can be very helpful, even when we're feeling, as you said, we're not saying don't feel sad, don't feel angry. It's like, what are the thoughts around that? It's information on how we can move through. And like you use the word numbing, and I want to talk more about that, because I know we all have that capacity to go, right, I don't want to feel this, let's just shut it down. Mm-hmm. Um, but then if the only way is through, you can't avoid it. So it's just a temporary hold, right? Mm-hmm. It's just a temporary hold. So I like to, I, like, I give myself permission to have those holds too. And I know that there's no way around this, I have to go through it. And there's freedom in knowing that and then we make the choices to when. Absolutely. And we can. <laughs> beautifully put. And I, I, I feel like for me, self-love, you know, I used to judge myself a lot for my numbing choices or hold choices, as you might call them, put, putting things on hold. And I, I'm, I offer so much more grace to myself mm. with all of my choices now, even if I'm making choices that I feel intuitively or am judging mentally as maybe not the healthiest choice in the moment, you know, I, I still, I, one of the refrains I come back to the most often with myself is it's okay, honey, you're human. This too is Mm -hmm. part of being human. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, watching seven hours of Netflix, that's part of being human too. Like there's nothing wrong with it. And so much of the suffering that we experience, I believe is because of the judgments we're placing on our actions. It's not because of the actions themselves. And I love how you spoke to what I also believe is true, which is just that most of our thoughts are lies. Yeah, (laughs) They're not true. And we give so much energy and credence to them. And it's a whole host of things that aren't even true to begin with. Yeah. So it's, it's a beautiful, how you phrased it for me is it's so important because when I, I really believe when we come to understand mm-hmm. that the thoughts playing out in our minds are not who we are. They're just thoughts playing out in a mind. And these thoughts on some level are playing out in every other human mind. Yeah. And there is a lot of power in bearing witness instead of becoming what's yeah. happening in our minds, you know? Yes, yes. Oh, so lovely. Oh, I'm loving it. Now, I introduced you at the beginning and we spoke about love activists. So yeah. I love that. So I want to know where that came from and you know tell me a bit about what that term means for you you know where the term came from is i i never really knew how to whenever anyone would ask me what i would do i i mean i still kind of do i just fumble through <laughs> like i do some writing and i do some whatever and what and then um on for my first book i was 
extraordinarily grateful to receive uh, an endorsement from Glennon Doyle, who is a writer and human I'm an extraordinary fan of. And she referred to me in her blurb as a love activist. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I've never heard those two words together. And that felt like, hey, that's a title I embrace. And what it means for me is just... I'm someone who makes a lot of noise for the power of love in our lives and in our world, love and self-love. Like that is the foundation of my work. It is, I'm always coming back to love and to self-love. And so for me, it's, it's that, and it's also remembering that it is within our power to bring love to however we are choosing to show up, um, including activism. And I feel that, that often in the context of activism, love can be discarded. Mm-hmm. And I, I see the reasons why, because there are so many horrors that exist. And if we're standing up and, and sharing our voice to thwart some of those horrors or to speak up for people who are marginalized and are, who are, are, are being on the, the receiving end of a host of injustices, yes. it can feel like, well, love isn't a priority here, right? Like our our rage and our anger, and we have to stop what's going on. Like that is what is most important. And for me, when when I'm paying attention, what I witness is that I'm a big fan of anger. And I think anger is an extraordinary change agent, mm-hmm. but anger does not create healing. It creates change. And for me, if anger is not ultimately supported foundationally with compassion, with empathy, with the invitations that, of love, yes. then all we ultimately create in that change is going to be more of the same eventually. Mm. In this in this world right now, it seems like more of the same immediately. It doesn't even <laughs> take long to see yeah. the shit show that gets created by more and more rage. Yeah. So I feel like Yes, rage is necessary. Yes, rage is important. But even in our activism, can we not ask ourselves, what is, how is love inviting me to show up with this rage? Yeah. What is compassion asking me to do with the people who are dehumanizing? I don't, I'm not interested in dehumanizing them. I'm a gay man. I, I understand my lived experiences in part understanding how it feels to be dehumanized by others because of my sexuality mm. and in watching watching political battles over my rights as yeah. though I'm not human. Like I, I get it through that lens, yeah. but I'm not interested in, in doing that even to those who are doing it to me because it doesn't serve healing. It is only going to create more of the same. So for me, lo- like love activism speaks to that as well. Like just considering as often as we can, yeah. What does compassion invite? What does empathy invite? What does love invite here? Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I love it. Yes. And that, again, it's it's quite interesting because one of the things that, um, and I know you talk about forgiveness in, in your book, so we'll definitely delve into that. But one of the things in, in my practice is anytime I come up against, in my own being, something that feels off or wrong or um, you know, something, something that I need to speak up about, I tend to go to the place of thanking the catalyst, even mm. though it's hard, you know, you know, this was really painful. This was really hard, but thank you because something, this is an opportunity. This yeah. is a real opportunity. And I love that you have some really concrete questions. 
how can I invite love? How can I invite whatever word feels right in that moment for healing, for transformation? And yes, for change, because we do need that as well. Absolutely. And speaking... Yeah, speaking to anger and those those words, for me, a lot of the time I talk about emotions as energy in motion, emotion. And yeah. from that perspective, they're all there to help shift and transform something in some way, whether it's a what we think of as a positive or negative, which I don't think is true. I think they're all useful and energy. Yes. But that that feeling of, OK, something needs to shift or move or change. So, again, I love that you are saying, well, anger is great for change and we need to infuse that with love and all the other things um, in that process. Absolutely. And, and I, for me, it's about I come back to always what you're speaking to, which is how am I feeling in my body? I love that you thank the catalyst because why not? That's another question I ask myself all the time. Like, why not? And why wouldn't I? Like, this is going to be a choice that that stands to create a bit more joy in my life yeah. or a bit more self-reflection. Like, why not explore that? And, and there's so much value in paying attention to how we're feeling. I think that we're not really... There's more dialogue around this in recent years for sure, but in general, we don't grow up learning to really listen to our bodies, to really listen to our intuition. We grow up learning to listen to our mind. Yeah. And our thoughts of our mind are so often mired in conditioning and insecurity and anger and fear. So as you said, they're so often untrue. And our body is communicating so much that we don't give a lot of energy to. And, and I'm, I, I like the practice of just kind of, how am I feeling right now? Like what is going on for me right now? And if the answer to that is I'm feeling really off or really anxious, that is an invitation. Great. Thank you for this information. What is there to explore here? Should you choose to not everyone, not everyone is like the two of us, <laughs> like not everyone yeah, is here to like be on this journey of in introspection and reflection. Um, yeah. I find it to be not only uh, for, for myself, the most valuable way to approach my life because the benefits that I've experienced from it yeah. are beyond words. And my relationship with myself has transformed in such a way. And the love I have, not only for myself, but for others, is so much greater than it's ever been in my life that the proof is in the pudding, you know? Yeah. Um, and at the same time, not everyone's here to be on a healing journey. That's not their path in this lifetime. And yeah. that's totally okay too. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And I, I like the question, how am I feeling? And I and I want to know a little bit more um, your thoughts on that in the world that we live in today, where a lot of what's being projected, and I will generalize uh, a little bit to say that, especially for our younger male generation, those who identify as boys, right? Who are, don't, you know, your feelings aren't that important. Stop crying, stop whatever the expression gets kind of um, dampened down because it's not allowed. It's not what we're expected to do in society. Now that's a general across, regardless of gender, but I have two sons, for example, where I very much took it upon myself as their mother to say, cry when you want to cry, laugh when you want to laugh. There's no cap on what they can feel. Yeah. Then you don't need to act from this place. You can Absolutely. notice it, be aware of it, and then make a choice. So I just want your take on that because I think in the world we're still 
uh, battling might not be the right word, but that's the word that's coming up for right now. This influence of feelings, feelings, what about feelings? It's all about logic. It's all about thinking and all of these things. What are your thoughts around that topic? Well, my first thought is I'm delighted your two boys have you as a mother. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> True, truly. I, and I really mean that sincerely because I think the more it's, it's going to always start with the caretakers, mm. parents or otherwise, whoever's taking care of the young kids. Yes. And in this, in this instance, young boys to communicate to them what you are, which is, Hey, feeling is beautiful. Feel whatever it is you're feeling. Yeah. Because I, I with you agree that. Whatever it is we are denying is making itself known in one way or another in our lives through yeah. passive aggressiveness or through outright aggressiveness. It for me, for me, what when I look at the ways in which I don't denied my feelings, it always it feels like putting someone in a dungeon and trying to lock them away and you try to lock someone in the basement or whatever, what they're going to do is they're going to make a whole hell of a lot of noise to get out. <laughs> and that for me is what it is like to stunt people's feelings. I think it's, I think it's shifting, but not certainly not fast enough, you know, but I do feel like, and again, these might be the circles I run in also yeah. and how my social media feeds are curated. I see a lot more, conversations and hear a lot more conversations about allowing for emotions and and raising young boy boys with yes. the permission to emote and to feel. Yes. So I do think there is a shift around it. And I also think that the overall conditioning is still what gets internalized. Yeah, I have no I why well, I shouldn't say I have no doubt. But I suspect even with your boys being raised by you and being told time and again, it's okay to feel they're still internalizing the outer world and their 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 friends in school who aren't being told the same things and might be saying might be saying to them, quit being a girl or whatever, it, whatever pejorative boys are putting on each other. Yes, you know, so I think there's movement around it. And I think just those who are who have the kind of awareness that you have, I, I pray that they continue to raise their mm. children to be aware of emotions and say, it's okay. Yeah. That's the only thing that's ultimately going to create change. It starts in the home. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I mean, where else is it going to start? Honestly? That's it. Yeah. That individual inside out approach to everything with you, your nucleus, your household, your community, your, and everything rippling out that way. Yeah. And how is the experience for you? So you're raising your boys this way. Are you, what are you noticing about them in terms well, of feeling their feelings? Yeah, they definitely know how to express their feelings and I can see how they do it differently, which is what's interesting. But at the core, they feel that they could share anything around how they're feeling. Sometimes they are not um, yet able to name it, which I think is beautiful because then it's like, well, you don't have to name it. It's like, whatever it is that you're feeling, where are you feeling it? How are you feeling like expressing it is enough right now. It doesn't have to have a label on it. And I often link their experiences with intuition because anytime they make a decision and it's not logical or they come to me and said, I sense that and I don't know why I praise the hell out of that mm. because for me, it's like, yes, go there, go there, go there. And so there is this beautiful, what I'm noticing is this beautiful dance between their feeling and expression of it and their intuit and their intuition and that being able to guide them through experiences. And and I've seen them both cry while they're not, they don't cry a lot. They're, they're older now, they're 17 and 19. So they're not young boys. 
boys now, but they are, well, they're still young in the grand scheme of, but they are able to express verbally very often how they feel. And in doing so, notice more in others, which is, again, the inside out approach. So it's really beautiful to witness for sure. And I have a daughter as well. It's just that she's been a little bit more expressive in hers over the years, which is why I kind of leaned a little bit towards the, the boys at this stage. Yeah, absolutely. And like, you know, that that type of conditioning, like the patriarchal conditioning, it runs so deeply within all of us. I, I was having a conversation with a friend a bit back, and he's he is married to a woman. And he told me that and he's much more guarded, like I'm like a hard on your sleeve type of person, very emotional, sharing it all. He's much more guarded, much more, I would say, stereotypical straight man, kind of closed off with his emotions. And, and we were talking about him becoming a bit more available within the context of his relationship emotionally. And his wife, whom I know well as well, is extremely emotional and extremely progressive in her way of viewing everything. And a, a, the type of woman you would expect to wholly embrace her husband showing his vulnerability. Mm. And my friend shared a story with me that this one time recently that he did become more vulnerable, vulnerable with her, something in her kind of shut down within it. And they mm. talked about it after. And she, she expressed that even though she really believes she wants him to be more vulnerable when he showed his vulnerability in this way, it was like her conditioning took over and mm. she, she noticed the part of her that was judging him and like was not wanting him to show what she was, was defining as a weakness, even though it's yeah. not how she sees vulnerability at all. Yeah. And it was a really like this eye-opening experience for both of them to yes. look at the ways in which this patriarchal conditioning and the, the conditioning around a, a masculinity that I do see as toxic, the, the shutdown, no yeah. emotion, no vulnerability, masculinity, that they were still playing roles within the context of it. For sure. And I and I overcame that myself, knowing that I've come from the same, I guess, patriarchal system in this time that we have. I remember feeling having conversations with my girlfriends. Oh, no, I don't want a guy who's going to cry all the time or, you know, or whatever it might be. And I actually think back to some of the deepest, most connected moments in my relationships over the years have been in those moments where we're really intimate and vulnerable with each other. And so when I see that, I think, well, what is it about this that people consider weak? I know. Right? I, it's, a, it's an interesting one. I need to ask a few more people. But what I sense here is that when you, when you are, again, another one from my mother, she gets quoted a lot in my podcast. But she always said, when you go into a relationship, don't see it as a three-legged race. Instead, you're two people separate to each other on two strong legs, strong feet, walking alongside each other. Because the moment you have that uh, leg tied to the other and then they move off, you start to wobble and feel like your life's falling apart because they're no longer there. Doesn't mean don't grieve and all of that, but it's being whole as we can be in from moment to moment. And what I noticed in my own sensing was the moments where that vulnerable space worked in a healthy way was when we were both facing each other and both somewhat mirroring or matching the, the energy that was available as opposed to I'm vulnerable and I'm shut down. 
Yes. Or the other way around. So there's something in the opening and the expansion of that vulnerability when both people step into that, that third space that's available from our own projections and stories. But we meet somewhere in the middle of it. For me, that's been such a profound you know, connection with other people. For me, too. Mm-hmm. I think for anyone to consider vulnerability weak is someone who who's not vulnerable <laughs> because yeah. it is incredibly challenging to yes. bring yourself to a place of true vulnerability with another human being. Yeah. You know? And yeah. it is like, I agree, when two people are willing to show up with that energy in that space, it's the most beautiful experience. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I yeah. love it. Delicious. And I know that you're, you're, I want to talk about your book, of course, and you've spoken quite a lot about uh, your work as a love activist and so on. What inspired you to write this book now? So, I mean, I love Enough As You Are as a title. For me, that is just, that encompasses so much. So what really brought that to the fore for you at this time? Well, the, you know, honestly, the book is a, a collection of a lot of, mo- men, most of the writings in the book are writings that I've, I've written over the past many years. Okay. And many of which have been shared on social media at different times. And then when I was putting together a manuscript that I wanted to pitch to my publisher of a collection of my more short prose and poetic writings, I was noticing how so many of the ones that I was, I was choosing were really connecting to themes of self-love and self-acceptance. And I think that, that is because I really see that as foundational, like the relationship that we have with ourselves, it forms how we show up for every other relationship in our lives and how we show up for the world, how we show up for our planet. It all, it really all does start from within. And so for me, understanding that is, I I feel most excited these days about giving energy to the understanding that it is never too late to create a deeper, more loving and more harmonious relationship with ourselves. It is, it is always what we do from this moment on that is going to matter the most, which is to say that even if for decades you have been living in an antagonistic relationship with yourself, okay, that was then here we are now. How do you want to move forward now? in terms of your relationship with yourself. So, so enough as you are is really just, it's just that reminding, reminding people that our worth is inherent. It is not predicated on your success, on your looks, on how cool your kids are, on your relationship. All of that is wonderful if it adds more meaning to your life and it has zero to do with your worth. Yeah. And and if people can really come to understand that, that you are worthy simply because you were born mm. and you will be worthy when you die and how we move through the world when we come to understand our inherent worth is wholly different. It's, it's wide open. It's much more expansive. And when you're moving through the world with, with that openness, with that expansion, with that centered place of like, I am worthy yeah. as I am what you invite into your life from that place is wholly different than when you're mired in this kind of closed off sense of, I am not worthy. I am not enough. We invite something wholly different. So I feel like I'm a cheerleader for that. Honestly, like I'm, I, I love reminding people, Hey, you're beautiful. Period. You are enough period. Not because, you know, but period. And because I mean, like, you know, both it's, it's a both and, but So that's really what this, 
how this book it came to be. And I, I feel like it's a great time for it, but I also feel like it's always a great time for it. Like it's always a great time to remind people of their inherent worth and to remind them to love themselves. Yeah. Love it. And, and I have a question about the worthy piece, because I know that this is you using the word inherent and I, and I like that you're not just saying self-worth or your worthiness because you're talking about something deeper that, as you said, if you're born, it's there, it's present. You have, it's right. nothing other than that. Right. Um, I want to know your thoughts on how our worthiness, and I'll, I'll share a personal story, is reflected in our relationships and or interactions. Okay. One of my um, one of my previous relationships, I, I think they all did, but one of my later previous relationships, I really felt was a, a huge catalyst and opportunity to really recognize my own worth. Part of that was the, my interaction and the lens and projection of me, not the other person, of what I was projecting and allowing or whatever, receiving or giving, whatever those words might be. I felt that there was something in that information that told me, well, if I'm allowing this to happen, what is it? What, is, what am I saying about my worthiness or how worthy I view myself, however that might be? So it was, again, a, a nice opportunity to check in and question and come up with some answers and to feel and to go hang on and all of that. So what are your thoughts about the um, reflection of that outwardly or in, in others and interactions and things like that? I think it's exactly what you're speaking to, which for me is I, I don't, when I'm centered in my worth as a human being, I do not allow the same things in my life yeah. that I have allowed when I felt unworthy right? Yes. That's, and, and I feel like that is true for everyone. So like you, if I'm in relationship with someone and something is not jibing and I'm like, I'm watching myself relive the same thing that is not feeling right in my system, there's a good chance that I'm not connecting to yes. my inherent sense of worthiness, yes. right? Yeah. That I'm, I'm mired in a story that I'm not enough in some way, or I wouldn't be showing up for this interaction, this relationship, the way I am. And the beautiful thing about that, I mean, the beautiful thing about the reflection is it allows me to rest in the possibility of making different choices for myself. And it also allows me to look at, well, what's this about? What's this story? What's this story of unworthiness about? What, what lies are you believing? What untruths that your mind is playing out are you choosing to believe right now? And, and those types of questions, you know, I'm a big fan of, of generative questions, which for me looks like we're feeling stuck in our lives. Let's say I'm in a job that's, in, you know, not good, not making me feel miserable, but I'm believing that I'm not going to find another job. Yeah. So if I ask myself the question, like, am I going to be able to find another job that makes me feel better? Yeah. My mind, my insecure mind is likely to respond, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's not a generative <laughs> question. Right? That's a question that's going to keep me in place. Yeah. But another way to frame that question is, how can I go about finding a job that's going to make me feel more excited in my life? And that is that goes to yes. That is with the assumption that I can absolutely do it. And now how can I go about doing it? What are the first steps I can take in finding a new job that's going to make me feel more fulfilled in my life? Yes. And we can apply that to everything. We can apply it to our relationships with ourselves, with partners. It's like ask these questions that are under the umbrella of yes, if yes is what you want to find. Mm -hmm. And then from that yes, 
you're invited to consider what steps you can take to create the realization of it. Beautiful. I love, love the way you've um, framed that. Yes. It's those, what is possible rather than what, what, you know, it's, I think, I think that the, the yes questions are really superbly beneficial and helpful. And I, and I know from, from a lot of the training, I guess that I've had understanding that, um, you know, our unconscious mind is just going to give us the files. It's not going to question. It's just going to say, Oh, you want to know how to fail? Here you go. Oh, you want to know how to succeed? Here you go. Whatever that might mean. So you just really leaning into those yes questions, the things that will be generative and positive in your life. Such, such a beautiful reframe every time. And it's a works in progress, right? Because this is a day by day practice, noticing and awareness. Um, All of it. Everything yeah. we're talking about exactly. is a day by day practice. But again, yeah. it's like, why not? Why wouldn't we be doing this? The fruits of this practice, of this labor, are wildly beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> in yeah. my experience. Me too. Mine too. Mm. I know that you, in your book, in the author's note, you you speak about at the beginning um, that nothing uh, within us lives outside of the bounds of love. Yeah. So talk a little bit more what about that. By that. Yeah. It, you know, I I spent a lot of time, like probably most people here listening, um, shaming myself and trying to hide the aspects of my personality that I didn't like. Mm -hmm. or trying to either shame or or whatever the choices I made that I knew weren't necessarily good for myself or others. Yeah. And for me, what I've come to believe and understand is that it is within me to love everything about myself. It is within me to love, not necessarily like, by the way, yes. but love. <laughs> I've gotten really good at loving aspects of myself that I don't particularly like. I'm not a big fan of my envious nature. My mind is incredibly envious. It can envy anyone for anything. That isn't something that I, I believe I'll ever grow to really like, but I can love that because it's a part of being human and it's a part of me. And by rejecting it, I feel like it is only it only makes it louder, but by mm -hmm. welcoming it in and giving it a place at the table, I feel like its voice just doesn't, I don't internalize the voice the way I used to. I hear it without internalizing it. And for me, that is the gift of loving all of who we are. Because, because as I see love, when I'm in my heart, the, the directive is only one thing, just love. Mm -hmm. It has never been anything else. Even that person, yes, even that person. Even that person, yes, even that person. The directive is always the same. So for me, that's the love is without conditions. Even the even saying unconditional love for me is just redundant. Yeah. Because the moment you attach that. conditions to love, it becomes something else. Yeah. So I am I believe as much as we know why, I don't necessarily know why I'm here and know what my ultimate purpose is and that changes and shifts and whatever, but I do believe I'm here to love. Like I believe I'm most at home in love. Yeah. And so that's when I say nothing's outside the bounds of it. That's what I mean by it. Yeah, that's not, that's beautiful. And I think practically for me, because I have three words that I consciously live by and that is love, serve and grow connection quite close behind but those are the three words that I work with consciously right now anyway and one of someone asked me about love and said well what does that actually mean for you and how do you practically 
bring that into your life if you're if you're saying this is an important value or support important energy or something that you want to really cultivate and I said well let's let's look at it this way we are love and very often we wear all sorts of different shades and glasses and all sorts of different things that give us a different lens and that lens is um, you know influenced by behaviors patterns and all of these things some aware some unaware so when I what I do in every situation is I say, OK, time to take it off, take off the specs and see it for what it is through that. Let's call it original lens, if you like, of love. And in the years of teaching in university and working with people and so on, I over the years, I, I had some feedback and it was one of the, the, I guess, most rewarding bits of feedback that I had from some of my students in the music industry. And that was. I don't know what you do, but somehow I really feel like you love me. And I know that might sound strange coming from a student to a teacher in that context. That's what they felt like. I know it's weird for me to say this to you, but I really feel like you genuinely love me and care about me and my, and, and how I'm doing. And, and I said, well, because it's true. Yeah. And for that to be reflected to me some years ago was so profound because this is where I consciously want to spend my time in that heart open really expansive and no lens of all the crap that we do wear from time to time including me where and when i'm in service that piece becomes feels so much more natural and it's so beautiful so that was a great reflection so take those those lens of shame and guilt and whatever other things that we see from time to time mm-hmm. off consciously from time to time and coming from that place where love is the only love is all that there is that's so beautiful and and i think you're speaking to one of the great truths about love which is that love is always in service yes anytime you are operating from a place of love you are of service to yourself to whoever whomever is in front of you that you're offering that love to and to our world yeah. Right. Like you've changed these students' lives. They don't they're th- by them telling you that that is a, a life changing thing for someone mm. to share, because yeah. anytime you can help someone feel more loved is a great gift, a great, a great act of service. Yeah. And that's what I that's what I remind myself. I mean, especially in these days in with the onslaught of the opposite happening on social media and in the world in yeah. such a um such a shocking it shouldn't be shocking but it still is shocking way it's remembering that because i'm inclined sometimes to jump on my keyboard and say stuff that is not coming from the loving place and and for me in those moments the most loving thing i know i can do is just to pull myself away from my computer because I know that what I what I what my mind what my rage wants me to offer in this moment actually isn't going to be beneficial. Mm-hmm. But if I'm able to offer what I feel compelled to offer through the lens of my heart, which is to say to speak as clearly, but without the the dehumanizing tone or yeah. the shaming tone, it actually creates the possibility of conversation or communication. Yeah. So again, for me, it's just a reminder: love is always of service. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And very practically speaking, infusing all of your actions with that, even in the business sense, when I'm sending emails, I infuse it with love. If I'm, you know, chatting with someone that I don't know in the supermarket, I'm infusing that with love, whatever it is. It's those daily activities that we do. And as you say, consciously choosing 
to play with that energy that's accessible to everyone. That's really beautiful. And paying attention to how you feel. Like we all want to be loved and we all want to give love. Like this is the, I think the most innate human desire. Mm -hmm. And it's like, just pay attention to how you feel when you are acting in love. You are going to be compelled to act in love more often and pay attention to how you feel when you are being hateful. Mm-hmm. And and it's like, you are going to see, I do not want to feel this way. There are other choices I can make here. Yes. Oh gosh, yes. Choose something else. And I have to come to, <laughs> I have to come to forgiveness because we touched on it very briefly earlier. And I said, we'll kind of come around to it, but I know that you speak a lot about forgiveness throughout your book and it's a very important thing. It's very necessary. Talk about forgiveness and what that means for you and why it's important. Yeah. I mean, forgiveness for me, when I, when I talk about it in workshops, I give it's for, it is easily the most triggering topic I bring up for people. So I guess what I want to make clear before going into it is I'm not telling anyone anything they have to do. You don't have to forgive anyone. You don't want to forgive, do whatever you feel called to do. My experience around it is that forgiveness and love are interchangeable. So I I'll share a, a personal story. Um, which really, really cemented inside of me the critical nature of forgiveness and how linked with love it is and how healing it is to find forgiveness. Um, you know, my, my parents were murdered when I was 14. They were shot to death. And at that time, this is a heavy turn, so forgive me, but it, it's very awesome. much related to Thank you. forgiving. Yes. Yeah, at, at the time, I wasn't thinking about forgiveness at all. That wasn't in my consciousness. And whenever I would think about the man who murdered my parents, it was just with rage and wanting him punished and wanting him dead and all of these horrible things. And in my early 20s, as I I mentioned, that was the time I was coming into the energy of love a bit more. And what I started to notice is whenever I would think about the man who murdered my parents, I would still feel this tightness in my chest and this this kind of hateful energy come up. And I told myself, I do not want to feel this way anymore. I I don't know how, but I feel like I want to forgive this man somehow. And what I started to do very consciously, I don't believe forgiveness is something you can call out of the sky. I don't think like happiness. I don't think it's something you just choose. And then suddenly you've forgiven the person or suddenly you're joyful when you were mired in misery. I don't think that's how it works. Mm -hmm. I do, however, believe that there are choices we can make that can lead us to places. And for me, what I came to discover was empathy was the path to forgiveness. So what I chose to do was just try to relate to this man in a different way, not through the lens of hatred, but I tried to imagine what his life might be like. And I, what I came to without knowing the details of his life was coming to a belief that this is a person who felt very lost, very alone, very angry, very confused, um, and very enraged. And each one of those things was a thing I could deeply connect with inside of myself. At the time, I felt very lost and very confused and very angry and very alone and very unloved. And even the violence, which was the one thing I'm like, I can't relate to that. When I got honest with myself, Simone, I'm like, you've been imagining him die gruesome deaths for years of your life. You absolutely can connect to the violence as well. It may not be something you would choose to ever act on, but don't pretend you can't imagine what it's like to think violent, horrific thoughts about another human being. 
And once I started to just rest in connecting to him as a human being instead of just a murderer, mm-hmm. I could I felt my heart open. And the more I practiced it that, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because empathy is actually a choice you can make. You may not be able to choose forgiveness, but you can choose to empathize. You can choose to decide in this moment, I am going to do everything I can do to put myself in the shoes and the lived experience of another so that it allows me to open my heart to their humanity in a different way. And then I continue to do that with this man. And then my heart opened. I was realizing that when I thought about him, it was with love in my heart. And, and, and then I realized I have forgiven him. I am not tethered to this experience through that toxic bind that lack of forgiveness tethers us to with other people in our lives. That, that bind has been released. And that for me was the gift of forgiveness. And having experienced it in my lived experience, being shown you have been able to forgive something that most people see as unforgivable and that by doing so you have created for yourself this unimaginable freedom mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean that i still wasn't living with pain around the experience of having lost my parents through murder it means that i'm no longer living with the hatred that i was feeling toward the man who created that situation i am free of that And that is a gift. Like people will argue with me, not even argue, because I don't really argue this point. It's like, they'll tell me they will never forgive this person did it. I'm like, okay, (laughs) I don't, I I swear to you, Simone, if I said to certain people, by you forgiving them, you will be relieved of this hatred you're feeling you will be relieved of this misery you're feeling they'll still say no i don't i'm not gonna do it and like that's for them that's for them to choose it's totally okay i i have seen enough in my life to know that forgiveness is always a path to freedom and so i am going to seek to forgive that's my experience around it. And that's why I feel like, and, and also what I, what I believe about forgiveness, which I, one of the pieces I wrote about it in the book is that if I am saying that something is unforgivable is for me, the same thing as stating that the darkness that lives in the actions of another is greater that, than the light and love that lives within my heart. And I do not believe that to be true. So I won't, that, that I don't believe it to be true. Can you repeat that? That's so stunning and profound. Yeah, it's to, to, to deem something as unforgivable is to say that the darkness that lives in the actions of another is greater than the light and love that lives within my heart. Oh, that that's be so beautiful. That's Thank so you. beautiful. Thank you for sharing so vulnerably and openly about that because it is, it is a, you know, quite heartwarming and also really hard experience to have gone through. And I think that it's so beautiful that you share it because you really are coming from that embodiment of forgiveness because to forgive something that, as you said, most people would deem unforgivable really speaks to that journey and that healing that you had to go through. Absolutely. I'm not yeah. just some dude saying, forgive everyone for everything. Yeah, forgive everyone and love everyone. We don't care. <laughs> but but also just to say and just to extend, and, and, I, um, and I know you'll relate to this, that in your forgiveness, and you use the word tether, 
before. That tether being broken was also an opportunity and a healing for that person. Um, and I say this by default, understanding how energy works and the loops and the and the things that we have around us, that by you going to that light and that place, you were able to shine a little bit into the darkness. Whether that person runs with it or not isn't your business. But the fact that you went there, the ripple effect that we can have in someone else's life from that deep honoring of forgiveness mm -hmm. and empathy is, is so beautiful. So... Oh my gosh, just feeling your heart right now. That's so beautiful. Thank you, love. I'm feeling yours right back. Thank oh, you. <laughs> so beautiful. Well, you know, I, I could talk to you for hours and I, and I always get on these conversations and say, can't we just meet up for a day? I think we'll have to, we'll have to make that happen at some point. But I do want to pause and say, first and foremost, just thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I really celebrate you, all the work that you're doing, all that you are in this world, you know, helping people to really create this real connection um, with themselves and the healing in the world. Thank and you. thank you. And I do ask all of my guests this final question, and that is, what is your soulful sound to the world? And that is a self prayer or desire that you wish upon the world. Oh my goodness. You know, I, I pray deeply, um, for our world that we may all come into alignment with our hearts more and more often and come to discover that we are worthy and beautiful and enough as we are. So we are able in that discovery to also recognize that in every single person that we come across. That would be my soulful sound right now. I hoped that. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Thank you, Scott. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you so much, Simone. What a joy, truly. And for me, and for me. <laughs> we can stay here all day. I know, and just like <laughs> smile at each other. That would, it for that a would while. be a day well spent for me, honestly. Oh, likewise, <laughs> likewise. Thank you so much. Right. Much love. <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to share it with your friends and remember to subscribe. From my heart to yours, sending you love, healing, and sound wherever you are.